Testing. Thank you, Pastor Arnold, for that kind introduction. Uh, indeed, I graduated yesterday, and already I feel the weight of responsibility upon my shoulders. So, you know what I've learned in seminary? I, I learned one very important thing, that I am a sinner, and I'm saved by God's grace. And so, brothers and sisters, let me ask you a favor. I need you. I need you to journey with me. I need you to pray for me. I need you to love me. I need you because I am a mere man. And I need God's grace through you. And I thank so many of you who have already showered me with grace. I thank you so much for journeying with me through these last three years. Thank you so much to our pastor elders for inviting me to share God's word with you today. It's always a pleasure to share God's word, but to do so on Mother's Day, that's doubly joyful. And as Pastor Arno has said, I, I, I have the real gift from God today because my mother is joining me today for the first time in this sanctuary. I even tried to wear her favorite colors. Uh, <laughs> it's a silly little thing that children do to make their parents happy. Mommy, I'm so glad you're here with me today. Come, let us begin with prayer, shall we? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your love that you have given to us through our mothers. And now as we come to your word, we pray that you may open our hearts to receive your love anew through your word. That we may learn to please you, our dearest Father in heaven. Amen. Hope. Hope is the wind that drives our sails. Hope is what keeps us going forward. Hope is what keeps us afloat. Hope is a distinctively Christian virtue. As one of the great scholars of our age, J.I. Packer, says, the Christian message is that there is hope hope for a ruined humanity, hope of pardon for our sins, hope of peace with God, hope of glory, of eternal life with God in heaven. You see, hope is the very character of the gospel. We begin our journey as Christians with the sure hope that our sins are forgiven. We continue our journey as Christians with the sure hope that Christ will come again. In contrast, you will not find hope in the character and citizenship education syllabus of the world. The, the world does hope. It hopes in many things. It hopes in wealth. It hopes in status and power. It even hopes in people. People who call out things like, yes, we can. Change you can believe in make our country great again. But our hope is only as strong. Hope only gives power as much as the one we hope in. Money perishes. Status and power, they come and they go. People, people fail. Even smart, accomplished, Rich, beautiful, 
people fail. Even our families fail. And so if we put our hope in these things, our hope will be frail, feeble, and ultimately futile. But we have a God who is ever-living, everlasting, ever-loving. If we place our hope in Him, we are safe and secure, we are sound. Christians have sure hope because we have a sure God. And that is why the gift that we can give to the world is hope in God. We must give the world hope in God. Hope in God is the goodness of the good news. It is what Jesus came to bring. And that is why Paul can say in Titus chapter 2, verse 13, that he awaits our blessed hope, the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We must give hope in God to the world. And this brings me to the topic of our message today, the heart of our sermon. If the church is indeed called to give hope to the world, how can we do so? How, how do we model hope to a tired and fatigued Singapore? How do we become people who inspire hope in a trustworthy God? Our passage for today, Psalm 131, will teach us how we can model for reasons I will explain a, a little bit later, I believe Psalm 131 is written by a mother. It is a mother's song. It is a mother's psalm. And in this song, the mother sings to her people a song of hope in God. In this song, the mother models hope for her people. That's why it is appropriate for us on this day, Mother's Day, for us to learn from this mother how we can model hope to the world. Let me read Psalm 131 to you. You can follow along on the slides. Psalm 131. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvellous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child with me is my soul. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth till forevermore. Before we work through the psalm verse by verse, I would like to take a step back and just look at the psalm as a whole. The psalmist is speaking to two audiences in this psalm. The words, O Lord, in verse 1, tell us that verses 1 and 2 are addressed to God. Verses 1 and 2 are a prayer to God. In contrast, in verse 3, the psalmist turns his attention to the people, Israel, and calls out, O Israel. In verse 3, she speaks to her people to encourage hope in God. This move from private prayer 
to public appeal is at the very heart of this sermon by modelling a prayer of hope in verses 1 and 2. The psalmist, call, makes, the psalmist makes her call for hope in verse 3 believable. In other words, by her humble and trusting act of prayer, the psalmist is modelling hope for her people. And that is why we can learn to model hope from her. You know, we really shouldn't be surprised that the psalm does this. Any of us who have been ministry leaders or care group leaders, we know that prayer is one of the most powerful ways that we can model hope to those that we serve. And that is why those of us who pray publicly, we choose our words very carefully. That is why our worship leaders, they choose their, psalm, uh, their songs very carefully. That is because as we pray and as we sing, we don't just do it to God, we model hope for one another. And this is what the Bible says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, as Pastor Oliver preached a few weeks ago. By singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, we teach and admonish one another. Likewise, the psalmist, as she prays to God, she models for her people, she models for us what it means to be a hopeful person of God. She is showing us in concrete action what it means to have God as a sure hope. So let us now see how she models hope for us. Her prayer begins in verse 1 by stating three things that, three things that she does not do. First, she does not lift her heart. Second, she does not raise her eyes too high. And third, she does not occupy herself with things too great and too marvelous for her. And all these three statements are Jewish idioms. They are Jewish expressions, Jewish ways of saying and speaking about humility. The first two things, to not lift her heart and not to raise her eyes too high, refer to being humble towards other people. Because to not lift one's heart and not to raise one's eyes is a Jewish way of saying, don't be proud towards other people. For example, in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 20, God says that one of the defining characteristics of Israel's king is that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers. Even <coughs> the king is to be humble towards his fellow citizens. Likewise, the psalmist is humbling herself towards the people of Israel. Give me a minute. Then the third thing that the psalmist does is that she does not occupy herself with things too great and too marvelous for her. Again, she is being humble, but this time it's towards God himself. The expression too great, too marvelous is often used in the Bible to refer to things that only God himself has knowledge and control over. That is why in Job 42, when proud Job is confronted by Almighty God, Job repents. He says, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too marvellous for me, which I did not know, and therefore I repent in dust and ashes. <coughs> the psalmist humbly recognises that God is God, and she is not. Pride has no place when we pray before God. So we see that the entire of verse 1 is obsessed with humility. The psalmist humbles herself towards others. She humbles herself towards God. Because humility is 
at the heart of modelling hope. Pride at its very centre is hoping in yourself. Pride is trusting in ourselves. Pride is the complete opposite of hope in God. And that is why Proverbs chapter 26, verse 12 can say this, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Humility is the act of moving our hope from ourselves onto God. It is not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less as we think and trust and hope upon God more and more. Humility, therefore, models hope in God. It shows hope in God. Some weeks ago, I was having a conversation with two brothers before service, and I think I must have been really exhausted from studying at seminary, and I was quite worried for our church as well. And amidst my tiredness and worry, I allowed despair to creep into my heart and my voice. And I was impatient with my two brothers. And one of the brothers, he came up to me and he, very gently, very kindly, he just said this. He said, Wenpin, I have been in this church for far longer than you. I have seen God work in this church. And I hope, I trust that God will work again. To this brother, I say, thank you. Not just because of what you have said, but how you said it. Because amid this challenging transition time in our church, it is easy, it is easy to be harsh and curt and rude to one another, to foolish people like me who make mistakes. But you, you chose to speak to me gently and humbly. You bore hope in God to me. You modelled hope in God for me. And I thank you. Brothers and sisters, likewise, are, are we modelling hope in God for one another, in humility? Have you moved your hope from yourself onto God? Have you decreased so that God may increase? Does your humility say that I hope in God and not in men, not in myself, not in ministry leaders, not in church leaders, but in God. To help us apply this call to humility, I will now like to just pause here for a while to lead us into prayer. And as I pray, I would like to ask you some questions. And I would like you to respond to God privately and honestly. Okay? After I ask you each question, I will pause for a while to give you some time to respond to God. Let us pray. Lord, we recognize that more often than not, our hearts have been lifted up towards one another and towards you. Help us now to repent as we answer these four questions in our hearts. Question one, brothers and sisters, do you accept that the gospel says that God is your creator? and you are His creation. He is your master, and you are His servant. Do you accept that position in all areas of your life?
Question two, do you accept that the gospel says that you have sinned and that death itself lives in you? Have you confessed your own helplessness in the face of sin and death? Do you understand that only Jesus can save you? Have you abandoned hope in yourself and placed your hope in Jesus alone? Question three, do you accept that the gospel says that the church is a family of weak and frail people, united in our dependence and our hope in God? Despite this, have you acted proudly or harshly or rudely towards others? Question four, do you accept that your position in life, your wealth, your job, your status, your family are all ultimately a gift from God? Do you recognize that the success of your Christian ministry, the growth of those you mentor, your gifts and your talents are all also from God? Have you used the good things in your life to lord it over other people in the workplace or at home? Or have you used them to serve others, to wash the feet of others, to go the extra mile to turn the other cheek as Jesus did? Lord, you have heard our prayer. We ask that you bless our repentance. Humble us so that we may model hope in you to others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I hope you appreciated that short time of reflection and prayer. I really wanted us to experience what the psalmist herself is doing in verse 1, which is to model hope in God by praying in humility. And at the same time, I hope that this time of quiet and calm reflection has put you in a state of mind to appreciate what we are going to see in our next verse, verse 2. And it goes like this. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child with me is my soul. And some of you may have noticed that my translation is a little bit different from your translation if you're following along in the ESV. Some translations, including the ESV, translate the last part of the verse as, like a weaned child is my soul within me, as you will see on the slide. 
because like most poetry, there is a little bit of ambiguity in the verse. And indeed, both translations that you see there are grammatically correct in the original Hebrew text. But I have gone with this translation that you see, you see on the screen because it preserves the word order of the original Hebrew and because it maintains the lyrical structure of the poem. And as we just read the verse according to what we see on the screen, we, we can see why I have called this a mother's song. Because the psalmist is describing her own experiences of her soul. It's, it's calm and it's quiet by comparing it to her experiences with her own child. That is why she says that her soul is like a weaned child with me. Like a weaned child, she has entrusted her soul to God. She has given over of herself entirely to God. And this is how she models hope. She describes her trust in God as a weaned child. A weaned child is a child that has recently stopped breastfeeding. And we know how babies are like when they are not weaned. That's why we call that room in the corner there the cry room. But in contrast, a, a child that has been weaned has learned trust. You know, like my, my two-year-old son, Matthew, he, he's been weaned, and so when he's hungry, he no longer throws a, a big fuss anymore. Instead, what he does is he comes up to mommy, and then he says very expectantly, mommy, can we? And then mommy picks her up and goes to make milk and Matthew lies in her lap quietly, suckling away at the bottle. Matthew has learned trust. In the two years of his short life, he has learned that mummy loves him. He has learned that mummy is dependable. Matthew has learned trust. You know, one of the most memorable incidences in my life is um, when I had pneumonia during Chinese New Year when I was a child. Um, it, it was obviously a very difficult time. Uh, I had a very high fever. I, I thought I was going to die. <laughs> Little children, I like that. You know, but the, the enduring memory of that time is, is not the hospital or the pain. The enduring memory is comfort. Because I, I remember my mother's presence with me. When everyone else was celebrating, my mother was there with me. And yes, sometimes she had to go home to shower and change. And when she did, the room was always a little bit darker. And the haunting hiss of the respirator a, a little bit more harsh. But I knew this. I knew that mummy would come back. Because for a thousand times in my life, mummy came back. And so, like a weaned child with his mother, my soul was calm and quiet, even in the darkness of that hospital room. Likewise, likewise, likewise. Our God deserves our trust, doesn't He? Because from the very beginning of creation, God has shown 
that He does not abandon His people. God loves His people and He always comes back. I heard God's trustworthy love explained to me uh, very recently in a story I heard at SBC. And the story goes like this. A mother was explaining to her daughter that God is trustworthy because God loves her so much. And so the, the, the little child was trying to understand it a little bit better. So she goes to ask mommy, mommy, does, does God love me this much? And then mommy says, no. Then she asks, does God love me this much? Mommy says, no. Does God love me this much? And then mommy says, no. So by now the, the child is getting a little bit exasperated, right? And she asks, him, she asks her mommy, so how much does God love me? And then mommy looks at her daughter and with all the love that she has, and she says to her daughter, God loves you this much. See, brothers and sisters, God loves us so much that He sent His only Son to die on the cross for us so that our sins can be forgiven. So these hands outstretched on the cross, these are not just hands crucified. These are hands outstretched in welcome. Welcome to embrace you. And so if you feel conflicted, you feel confused, you feel condemned, run to the cross. Run to the cross and embrace God. Run to the cross and embrace trust in God. And as you do so, you model hope for everyone here. I, I, I saw this most powerfully when I, I met, uh, when I was just talking and just spending time with one of my classmates in Singapore Bible College. You see, she, she has a mother who is going through cancer right now, and the mother is in a lot of pain. And one day we were praying for her and it was a little bit funny because she was crying, but she was also laughing. And so she, she said when we were praying for her as she half cried and half laughed, she said this to us. She said, please pray for my mother. My mother is in a lot of pain. But I know God is good. God has always been good. And I trust that God will do what is right for her. <laughs> At that moment, I started to cry. And it's not because I was feeling very sad. The reason I started to cry was because her God was so beautiful, so trustworthy so deserving of hope. And so when I looked at my friend, my heart was warmed. She modeled hope in God for me in simple trust. My friends, perhaps you are in a phase of your life where you're, like my, my two-year-old son, you are hungry. You are hungry for peace. You are hungry for relief. 
Perhaps you are in a season of your life where, like me in the hospital, the, the world seems a little bit darker and the haunting hiss of critical words is harsher. Or perhaps like my friend from school, you are being confronted by the reality of death. My friends, know this. God will come back. God always comes back. For thousands of years, God has proven that He will come back. So trust in Him. Even amid the pain, trust that He will do what is good for you. Trust God and model hope to all who are around you. We have seen in the first two verses that the mother models hope for her people by praying in humility and trust. Likewise, we too can model hope for the world by our humble trust in God. So after the mother mother finishes her model prayer of hope in verses 1 and 2, the the mother turns her attention to her people and, and says, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth till forevermore. But we, we must understand this is not an empty call. This call is convincing because the mother has modeled hope in God herself, in trust, in humility. You see, the mother doesn't try to reason her people into hope. Rather, she simply encourages hope by showing what hope looks like. She is not a saleswoman for hope. She is a free sample. And I hope you can see how appropriately this speaks into her culture. Because in the ancient Near East where she lived, women are supposed to be quiet. Silence is a virtue. But what this mother has done is to turn her quiet and her calm, the humble, trusting silence of her soul, into a most powerful and loud sermon to encourage her people to hope in God. She preaches, but without words. She models hope through her life, her humility, her trust. In contrast, our our world is cluttered with many voices crying out for our attention. But you know what? I, I think the solution is actually the same, isn't it? Because in this world of noise, of dissenting voices, our calm and our quiet before God can speak louder than words. For hope in God, the the gospel message, it is not just conveyed by what we say, as important as that is, but who we are. Are you humble before God in a world of pride? Are you trusting in God, in a society of distrust? Are you modelling hope to people who are in despair? And I'm thankful to say that nowhere have I better learned this lesson than from the mothers and grandmothers of our church. 
You see, a, a few weeks ago, I was, a, a few days ago, I was fretting about this sermon. So many commentaries to read, so many books to study, so many voices shouting in your ear telling you what to say and what to do. So I, I was struggling with what to preach today. But a, a grandmother of this church just simply WhatsApp me and she said this, I am remembering you before God in prayer. And I pray and I trust and I hope that God will help His church hear His messenger. You see, this, this grandmother, let me say thank you to you. You, you help this foolish preacher Realize that even in preaching, our hope is in God. You model hope for me very simply in your calm and your quiet prayer. And so I, I thank you. Thank you. Mothers, fathers, are you modeling hope in God for your children? by trusting in God. When your career takes a downturn, when your health is not so great, do you say joyfully to your children that God is good, He has always been good, and I trust that He will do what is good for me? Do you say to them that whatever trouble this life may bring, I know that my soul is safe with God in heaven. And do you model hope in God in humility for your children? Do your children see that you do not care about status and power and wealth in your workplace? Do you humbly take up service in church where even when it inconveniences you, even when you have to serve people you do not like, even when you have to do things that you have employees at, the, at your workplace to do for you? Or perhaps the hardest thing to do, do you say sorry to your children, to your spouse, when you have made a mistake? You see, we can model humility because we hope in Jesus. Jesus who has walked that humble road onto the cross. He is why we can be humble. And now to my fellow pastor elders, my deacons, my ministry leaders, my care group leaders, let me ask you, do you model hope in God to your sheep? For you are stewards of hope, caretakers of hope, ambassadors of hope. And yes, making decisions, doing administration, fundraising, all these are important things. And I know firsthand how difficult leadership is like in a church. But are we giving the church the one thing that the world cannot give, which is to model hope in God? through our humility and our trust. For all Christians, but leaders especially, we need to live lives that quietly proclaim 
that we hope in Almighty God, our rock, our refuge, and our fortress. And so my fellow leaders, I exhort you, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercise oversight humbly. Don't do so under compulsion, but willingly as God will have you. Don't do it for shameful gain. Don't do it for respect, for, for, for status. But eagerly trust that God will take care of you and your family. Don't domineer over those who are in your charge, but be humble examples, especially of hope to your flock. Because, because when the chief shepherd appears, when our blessed hope, Jesus, appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And so, my brothers and sisters, the gospel of Jesus Christ gives us unfading hope. Because we hope in a God who is ever-living, everlasting and ever-loving. And now we have been given the privilege, the mission of modelling hope in God to a hopeless world. So this Mother's Day, let us learn from this mother of Psalm 131 to model hope, to be a free sample of hope. Humble yourselves. Trust in God. And by doing so, model hope in God to the nations. Let us pray. O Father in heaven, help us to not be arrogant towards one another. Help us to not be prideful towards each other. Help us to not occupy ourselves with things that are too much for us and that we really should leave to you. Help us instead to calm and quiet ourselves before you for we can entrust our fragile lives to our firm God. Our trust worthy God, whom we can trust just like our mothers. O world, O church, place your hope in God, in the Son who died for your sins to be forgiven, and who was raised to new life so that you may have new life. Hope in Jesus from this time forth till forevermore. Amen. Thank you.